Okay, we're continuing our journey through Luke's Gospel, and today uh, we come to chapter 4 and the temptations. Oscar Wilde said, I can resist everything except temptation. (laughs) I'm laughing because Margaret was saying that at the same time I was saying it. She's clearly a big Oscar Wilde fan. Um, I can resist everything except temptation. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, reads like this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written that you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone and Jesus answered him it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test and when the devil had ended every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all good stuff yeah So um, we're rolling into this off the back of chapter 3. You all know that chapter 3 comes before chapter 4. It's the best place for it. Where Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan and the Holy Spirit comes on him. It says uh, in your Bible it'll say in bodily form like a dove. In the Greek it's a white pigeon. But, you know, we're not too worried about things like that, are we? Um, Come on, that was funny. (sighs) You're going to be hard work today. I can can feel it. Um, And... uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of the Spirit, he's then taken out uh, into the desert. And um, what is interesting in that for me as this kind of roll into chapter 4 is that Jesus comes and is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and then it begins. That having, um, you know, he's had his his childhood growing up and and learning and developing and getting ready uh, for this ministry, but um, it's kind of that the baptism and the Holy Spirit alighting on him is like it's the green light. This is the go. This is when we actually enter into ministry, or at least for Jesus, it's when he actually enters into ministry. And the first thing that he's faced with is a battle. That sound familiar to anybody? You know, you get full of vision and expectation and the Holy Spirit comes and ignites something in you and the first thing that you face is a battle. And uh, that's the way it goes. And we shouldn't be afraid of the battles. And, and actually, if you, if you read what the Scriptures say here, Jesus is actually led into the battle by the Holy Spirit. So um, at the beginning of the chapter there, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Holy Spirit 
into the wilderness, into some difficult times. Now, that for us sometimes does not compute, does it? That I don't know if you're, if you're anything like me, but, but um, when I came to faith, the people who shared the gospel with me um, shared a lot of good truth with me, but they also shared some things with me that weren't actually true. Because I entered into faith, I became a Christian, I gave my life to Jesus, I entered into faith thinking that I was, I'd got a ticket to a cruise ship. <laughs> thinking that now, you know, I've got my ticket to heaven and life is just going to be a breeze, it's going to be a blast, I've got my ticket for this cruise ship. And imagine my surprise when I get down to the docks and I see a battleship. Because that's actually what we are called into. That's what the Holy Spirit takes us into. Now, I, listen, it's tough, but I wouldn't swap it for anything. So don't ever hear me say that. Don't ever imagine that that's where I'm coming from. Um, I, I hadn't got a proper picture when I launched into this, but I would still, if I'd had a proper picture, have launched into this. Because following Jesus is the only thing worth doing with your life. Yeah? And it might get tough. It might get difficult. There might be temptations. There might be battles that we have to fight, mountains that we have to climb. But actually, there's nothing else worth doing with your life. Hello? You, you can chase after money and things if you want, but I read something um, online yesterday and uh, I, I couldn't get it. It was on my phone and I couldn't get at it to kind of copy it and paste it anywhere where I could keep it. So I'll need to try and track it down again. But it was the last words of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, if you don't know who he is, he was the guy who started Apple, the computer company, um, a, a, a billionaire businessman who um, had literally, in his own way, changed the world because the things that, that Apple have done and the way they've done them have had such an impact on every, everything in life. You know, they've changed the way we listen to music. They've changed the way we deal with computers. You know, all of that sort of stuff. He, he was quite an incredible guy. And on his deathbed, you know, uh, he, what is he saying? He's saying, actually, the money and the fame are just not worth it. He said, actually, if I, knowing what I know now, if I'd have had any sense, when I had earned enough money to live the rest of my life on, I should have just stopped working, stopped all of that, and spent my life investing in humanity and doing something good. Because the other stuff is just not worth chasing after. Those were his words. And we find the same thing in Ireland. I mean, we're not, none of us, uh, uh, well, if you are destined to be a billionaire, I'd really like to get to know you better. But... Um, <laughs> None of us are particularly destined to be billionaires, but um, you know we have options in life. We've got a comfy option and we've got a hard option. And guess what? The Holy Spirit usually takes us down the hard option because that's where we grow. That's where we get close to God. That's where the things that God has created in us start to get drawn out and we become who we are created to be. That's why sometimes life is tough. It's part of God's plan to get the real you out into the open and we need the Holy Spirit to help us with that Jesus doesn't launch into this on his own now remember that Jesus is working within the framework of humanity that whilst he was still fully God he was fully human so he didn't have anything to help him that you and I don't have to help us he was dealing with the same pressures and the same problems he felt the heat he felt the cold you know he got hungry some people I think think that when Jesus went out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days he kind of floated out on, on you know two inches above the ground in his pretty white dress and um, you know it was just a breeze for him it was easy because he was God no okay he had to walk 
And he had to walk through the dust and the heat and everything else. And he had to deal with the hunger and the thirsting and all of those things because he was human. And if he needed the Holy Spirit to help him through that, guess what? So do you and I need the Holy Spirit to get us through these things. You know, difficult times will come and, uh, and they are... are used by God I'm not convinced they're always sent by God but they're certainly they are used by God to draw something good out of us to develop us as human beings and we need the Holy Spirit to keep us in one piece while we work through these things yes okay um, we shouldn't be afraid of the wilderness because the wilderness is a place where we can grow so when we were talking about john the baptist we kind of registered the thought that the wilderness is sometimes a place where we can hear god and in that context the wilderness for for john that was his home he was used to living there and you know for him that space and that quietness was a good place for him to hear god jesus wilderness experience was very different it was a battle and i want you to see there that the holy spirit led him into it in uh, in Luke's gospel it says that the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness in Mark's gospel Mark's a little bit more direct a little bit more edgy than Luke and Mark says that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness he uses a very strong Greek word ekbalo which literally means get in the wilderness that tough because the Holy Spirit knowing the mind of God knew what Jesus needed, what he needed to do to get to where he needed to be and he drove him out into the wilderness to face uh, whatever it is that he needed to face there. And these are not just random days in the wilderness but they are days of purpose. They're days when God is doing something. It's not just that Jesus is dealing with some temptations that the devil happens to throw in front of him but this is a place of growth and development and life Okay, if you're following the plan that God has for you. Are you with me? Yeah, it's not just a, a grueling time in a hot place, but actually it's a place where if you are guided by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit, God will use it to build you bigger and better. Yes? Okay. So um, the devil comes to him in that context. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. It says he was hungry, as you would be if you'd been fasting for 40 days. And the devil comes to catch him in a moment of physical weakness and to find out whether he is also spiritually weak but of course Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and so the two things do not necessarily go hand in hand are you with me yes and so the devil starts out by trying to undermine him and he says to him if you are the son of God and you can imagine uh, I imagine for most of us that in a moment of weakness where we're facing difficulties when, when life is tough when we're in that wilderness when we're in that desert place you know if the devil rocked up and said if you are a child of God we would be immediately thinking oh am I? <laughs> am I alright? is it okay? am I? because this is actually pretty tough and sometimes when it's pretty tough it's pretty difficult to hear God and Sometimes when it's tough, we're not sure what's going on. We're not sure whether we've got faith or not. We're not quite sure what's happening and where we are. And the devil taps into that and he goes, if, if you are. But Jesus is quite sure about himself. Why? Well, because here again, I'm sorry to keep going on about the Holy Spirit, but I'm a Pentecostal and that's what we do. All right. Okay. 
But Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings to our spirits that cry of Abba, Father, that we know who we are, that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that we are children of God, because the Spirit of God lives in us. There's no confusion there, and Jesus is quite confident. He's not at all undermined by the devil trying to get at him in, in, in his physical weakness and in kind of Get a, make a dent in his spirituality, Jesus is not at all phased by that because filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he knows who he is. He knows what's going on. He knows that he is in the plan and the purposes of God. And I want you to understand this. We don't talk a lot about the devil. Sometimes it gets a little bit spooky and a little bit weird for people. But you know, the devil is a real person and he has some friends. And their role in our lives is to distract us and undermine us and keep us from the purposes of God. But I want you to know that there are at least twice as many angels as there are demons. That the devil is not God. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not all-powerful and he's not all-knowing. He's none of those things. He's a fallen angel. Okay? He knows some stuff and he's had a bit of practice so he knows how to get at us. But he's not God. You hear me? So we're not afraid of him, are we? Okay, some of you sound like you might be. We're not afraid of him, are we? The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In in other words, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in me, is bigger and more powerful than anything the devil could ever muscle up. And so we are not afraid and we are not undermined. Now, if we don't acknowledge that he's there, we set ourselves up for trouble because then it's easy for him to trick us okay, and to confuse us and to knock us off path. But if we do know that he's there, if we acknowledge that he's there, that we're not giving him any glory, we're not, give, we're not bigging him up, but if we acknowledge that he's there, then we live with an awareness that he's there and so we watch out for his tricks and his schemes to distract us from the purposes of God. Yes? So, the devil is real. I don't want you to forget that, but we don't want to focus on that because we're not that worried about him in the end, are we? Okay. So, uh, Luke carries on. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things we could say about all of these Temptations, But there are some particular things that I want us to, to latch on to today. The devil comes to Jesus when he is fasting and praying and using that time to, um, to commune with the Father and understand more about the Father's plans and purposes because that's kind of the point of fasting, you know, that we actually deny ourselves some things so that, so that we actually are separating ourselves, if you like, from our perceived needs. We're separating ourselves from the distractions of life so that we can hear God more clearly get closer to him and understand more of his mind and more of his purposes that's kind of the point of it yeah and uh, the devil understands that and what he comes and does is is he he taps into jesus uh, jesus hunger okay he's physically hungry at this point he's been fasting for 40 days and uh, he he says well why don't you just turn this you know forget this fasting and getting close to god stuff you're hungry you know um, you're the son of god why don't you just turn this stone into a loaf of bread. Now I wonder how many of us, most of us have trouble fasting for a day. Most of us don't even try, actually, if we're honest. 
But those of us who do fast, we have trouble managing, managing it for a day, um, let alone more than that. And here is Jesus having fasted for 40 days. He's hungry, and the devil sticks that. In. That's, that is a temptation, isn't it? Hello? You, come on, you know what it's like. Um, you've been fasting, and, uh, and you have to do somebody a favor and go down to Tesco's you know, to get something for them. And they always put the chocolates next to the till. You know why they do that? Because that's people impulse buy. They're standing in the, in the queue for the checkout, and there's always a queue for the checkout. Okay? Always. And you're standing in the queue for the checkout, and you're looking at chocolate, and you're feeling hungry. Okay? Hands up if you buy the chocolate. You see, well done, Philomena. Philomena's honest. A lot of us, if not all of us, you know, would buy the chocolate because we're hungry. And it's a very real temptation but the devil is tapping into a perceived need okay to trick Jesus into doing something that would dishonor God and I, I want this thing about perceived need is very important because all of us think we need things that we don't actually need and many of us waste our lives or huge chunks of our lives pursuing things that we think we need that we don't really need In the boot of my car is a, an American hand-built 65-degree wedge. That's a golf club for the uninitiated, yes. Which, which, when I saw it and read the reviews on it, I was absolutely convinced I needed. It wasn't expensive, um, but I had to wait for a week for it to get delivered from the States. You know, and uh, with this wedge, you're supposed to be able, with, with one shot, to get it out of any bunker. That's where all the sand is. Okay, get out of any bunker. And any shot around the green where you just need to get out of the deep grass and onto the green, it, that's what it's built for. It's supposed to be perfect. And any fool, there's the clue. <laughs> any fool can use it and one hit and you're done. I want to, I'm all over the place with it. I can't, you know. I don't get out of the sand with one stroke. When I do manage to hit it, it doesn't land on the green. It goes flying over the other side. And and was so useless and frustrating that it now sits unused in the boot of the car. But when I saw it, I was convinced I needed it. I was convinced this was the solution to all of my golfing problems. And it's not. Now, I wonder how many other things in life are like that for us. I wonder how many pairs of shoes you've got in your wardrobe that you only wore once, but you desperately needed them at the time. You had to have them. You know what I'm saying. We, we live with perceived needs. There are, there are so many things you know, um, that we think we must have, we really must have. And most of these things, actually, we don't really need there's been some really great stuff um, and and I've been really happy to see it um, all over Facebook this last couple of weeks talking about Christmas and you know um, parents get under a lot of pressure at Christmas to to do things for their kids that they can't afford you know and uh, there's been a lot of stuff saying the best present you can give your kids this Christmas is to spend time with them 
isn't that the truth you know that actually kids don't need to have their lives filled with wrapping paper and all the things that come in it um, you know what they need is quality time with the parents that's not to say don't buy them any gifts all right don't be don't be scrooge all right but you know I, I i speak to people who have no money but will go out and spend 500 quid on each of their kids at christmas and get themselves into debt doing it because they feel somehow they must do that because it's christmas and the kids you know they need this they need this you know no they don't okay it's a perceived need it's not real and we spend a, a lot of our lives giving ourselves to perceived needs and we need to start discovering some more holy spirit wisdom and understanding that a lot of these things we don't need to be giving our lives to there's more important things jesus knew that i'm hungry it's only bread it's more important for me to be close to God it's more important for me to be going through this fasting and and getting closer to understanding more about the mind of God and the purposes of God and all of those things because actually that's more important than a bit of bread so sorry devil but that is a fail fail number one let me just say at this point um, just so that you're clear God does not tempt us. Now, God might test us, but that's very different to tempting. God will not put things in your way to tempt you to sin. He will put tests in your way to draw a bigger person out of you, okay? but he will not do things that lead you into sin. God does not do that. That's not how he works. what leads us into sin is our own sinfulness (laughs) our own weakness our own carnality our own selfishness our own plans and desires are the things that usually wind up leading us into sin okay moving on Um, verse 5 and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, there are a lot of people who think that the devil's having a laugh here because um, he didn't own all of that stuff and he'd got, it was nothing to do with him. That it's just a, it's just a big deception. But actually, um, God gives, if you read your Bible, God gives the devil some some authority over the earth he gives him dominion he lets him loose and says okay you know here's your playground do do your worst it's yours and and what the devil is offering to jesus here is stuff that is actually his he does have some authority hello he does hold some of these things and so he puts them in front of Jesus and Jesus knows this of course he puts them in front of Jesus and says you can have all of these things look at all these riches look at all this wealth look at all this power look at all of this authority look at all of these things you can have you can have all of these things if you would just bow down and worship me and you know um, what an easy route that would have been for Jesus to have had all of those things 
I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, does it? Just, just for a moment to bow down and worship the devil. But Jesus knew that that would be the highest of all insults to God. Because what is the first commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Nobody else. We don't worship other gods. We're not, we're not entangled with them in any way. We don't listen to what they have to say and we don't live to serve them. We live to serve only the one true God, the living God. And Jesus, of course, knows us and he's, and he's not going to offend the Father. But again, the challenge for, for many of us is that the attraction of those things undermines our walk with God. That we are too easily distracted from the purposes of God in our lives by the trappings of this world. Now, these things are in themselves not wrong. They're not sinful. It's not wrong to live in a nice house. It's not wrong to drive a nice car. It's not wrong to have nice clothes. It's not wrong to have jewelry. It's not wrong to have a nice watch. It's not wrong to have nice holidays. I'm going on one myself in January. Cyprus, five-star hotel, world-class golf course. (laughs) These things in themselves... Right, are, are not wrong. They're not sinful. But if these things distract you in any way from the purposes of God in your life, they do become sinful. They do become bad. If your, if your objective, if your pursuits in life are about the things that you can get, the gold and the glory and, and all of that kind of thing, if, if your pursuits in life are about that, then that is sinful because that is basically an insult to God because you're supposed to be putting him first, not the things of this world. Now, I love what Jesus has to say about that. He he says, seek first the kingdom of God. We were there a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? Seek first the kingdom of God. And all the other stuff will get added on. All the other stuff, God will sort that out. You don't have to pursue those things. You don't have to pursue money. You don't have to pursue status. You don't have to pursue you know, any of those things. That actually, if you put God first and if you pursue Him first, He will sort the rest out. And you can live happy and content knowing that everything that you have has been given to you by God and is stuff that actually you should have. And that you have honored God with your life and with your lifestyle. And that... I want to tell you, is a really great place to be in. Because when you're in that place, you do have peace. And when your next door neighbor turns up with his brand new car, and it's the car you always wanted. Do you know, do you remember, maybe you don't, um, that um, John uh, Whitehead bought, um, because he'd been left some money, uh, in the will and everything and he went out and he bought a brand new Audi A5 and that was my favourite car at the time Okay, and he didn't tell me he was doing that and he just turned up at church one morning and he said come outside <laughs> and there's this brand new shiny red Audi A5 you know and I looked at it and my first, my first thought was is that for me? <laughs> And it wasn't, of course. It, it was his. He bought it. And now, you've got one of two options there, haven't you? You can either live in the message here and say, well, that's fantastic. 
well done, God bless you, I hope you enjoy it, that's really lovely. Or you can be, well, where's mine? Why did you get one and I didn't get one? How come you get to drive my dream car? You know? Now, this is, this is the battle here that is going on between Jesus and the devil and he doesn't fall for it. Why doesn't he fall for it? Because he knows that if he puts God first, he knows that if God is his total pursuit and, the, and his object of worship, he knows that if he does the right thing by the Father, everything else will get sorted out. He knows that if he pursues the purposes of God in his life, in the end, he gets all the glory. He gets all the authority. And the devil doesn't even get a look in. Now, it's a tougher route. There are a lot of battles to fight. There are a lot of twists and turns in it. And life sometimes gets a little bit ugly and a bit unsettled. But Jesus knows that if he follows the path that the Father has set for him, he will get all of these things and he will have deserved all of these things and he will get them given to him by God and not have to negotiate with the devil. Are you with me? So stop negotiating with the devil. I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm not. Yes, you are. Every time you forego the purposes of God to do something that makes you feel better, that enriches your life, that builds your kingdom, you have negotiated with the devil. Hello? So stop it. Seriously. Jesus knew that to follow the purposes of God would take him to the cross. And whilst many Christians are martyred for their faith, it's unlikely that many of, many of us will ever have to face that kind of trial. Maybe that's what's wrong with us. Maybe life's too easy for us. But Jesus knew that following the purposes of God would take him to the cross. The humility, the uh, humiliation, I should say, of that, the pain of that, I mean, you, you, we have no idea. Of what, if, when, you, when you read um, uh, of what they do in a Roman crucifixion and the effects that it has on your body and the way that you die, if you had any idea that you were going to go for that, you know, you just would try absolutely everything not to be there. You know? But Jesus knew that's where he was heading. But the Bible says for the glory set before him Jesus endured the cross what does that mean? that he knew to go through the pain now would lead to something bigger and better later that he knew to go through the suffering now through the struggle now would lead to something which is entirely more glorious than the devil or anybody else had got to offer and the same is true for us that whilst in this life, as we pursue the purposes of God, sometimes it's going to get difficult, sometimes it's going to be a struggle, sometimes we're going to have an all-out battle on our hands. There is a glory set before us which cannot be taken from us if we pursue Him. Are you with me? Okay. Jesus said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. 
And then the third temptation, he took Jesus up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. There is a a difference, um, I I think, between um, seeking the wisdom of God and asking him to show you something and uh, just kind of putting God to the test because it feels good, because it actually gives you some kind of um, status or, you know, know, something that you're looking for in that sense. Let, Let me see if I can nail that down a little bit for you. When Gideon hears the voice of God, he wants to be assured that it's the voice of God now I don't entirely get that because he's just had a conversation with Jesus in the wine press you know (laughs) and he's just worshipped him and brought sacrifices to him and you know you would think that would be enough but Gideon in his weakness wanted some additional proof to be sure that this was God speaking to him and so you get the whole thing with the fleeces you remember that he puts the fleece out and uh, he says you know (laughs) If it's you speaking to me in the morning, let the ground be covered with dew, but let the fleece be dry. And then the next day he wants it the other way around. And God does both things just so that Gideon can be sure that it's God speaking to him because God's called him to do something which for Gideon is pretty massive. That's okay. All right. Taking poisonous snakes out of a box and passing them around at church just so that we can prove that God is with us is in a different league altogether. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you know about these um, snake handlers in America. They have, uh, in their services, they have boxes with poisonous snakes in them. And if you have faith, you go and help yourself to one of the snakes and you dance around the church with it. And if you have faith, you don't get bitten. And if you do get bitten, you're not going to die. Because it says in Mark 16, that they shall be bitten by poisonous snakes and they shall survive. How ridiculously stupid can you get? Now that sounds stupid, doesn't it? And it is stupid. That is not the point of Mark 16. That is a totally ridiculous practice and it is not biblical. It is not godly at all. But it's about testing God to prove I've got some status. I will carry this poisonous snake and it won't bite me because God's on my side. What a nonsense. Now, testing God, that's testing God. And there are all sorts of ways that we do that in life. We, we want to test God. We want him to do something um, so that we come out looking good. So that we come out and we're able to say, you know, I've got God on my side because he did this. You know? I'm going to buy a lottery ticket because then if I win... You know, after I've prayed over it, you know, I can say, God was with me and now I'm rich. It's all nonsense. You understand that? It's all nonsense. Jesus understood that. If we know who we are, if we understand the calling of God on our lives, and here we go again, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have no need to test God because we will live in a place of confidence, not in ourselves but in him, that doesn't require him to be doing things all the time for us to prove that he's God and prove that he's there. Hello? We would 
trust him you know trust doesn't need to put these tests in place you know um, even the laying out of the fleece it's a weakness in Gideon because he's just had a face to face conversation with God and he knew it was God even that's a weakness you know and that's not what God calls us to he calls us to a place of intimacy and relationship with him he, he sends his Holy Spirit to fill us and to help us and to guide us in order that we can live with confidence and that people will see God in us without us having to have external you know, things happening around us that prove that God is on our side and that's where we are called to be you don't need to prove who you are you don't need to prove who God is um, somebody was saying on Thursday I, f- I forget who but the, but the comment just kind of lodged in my head that you know, we were talking about healing and sometimes there's a hesitancy in praying for healing because you know, what do we do if we're praying for somebody particularly if they're not saved we pray for them to get healed and they don't get healed does it make God look bad okay Listen, we have all sorts of questions like that in all sorts of different areas of life and ministry but I want to tell you you do not need to make God look good you do not need to worry about his reputation you just need to be obedient you just need to follow his purposes and he can take care of the rest C.S. Lewis wrote um, uh, the words were something to this effect he said defend the Bible defend the Bible you might as well try to defend an uncaged lion you see the point that God does not need defending (laughs) his word does not need defending our call is just to be obedient and to pursue his purposes and he will take care of the rest we don't have to prove that God is with us because if we're following him and following his purposes people will see that people will say to you God is with you you won't need to say to them God is with me they'll be saying it to you and then after all of this Luke says Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit he goes into the wilderness in the power of the spirit he goes through the wilderness experience in the power of the spirit and he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit do you think there's a message there? When Paul says be filled with the Holy Spirit, what he means is be filled with the Holy Spirit so that whatever the circumstances or the situation are, you will live and work and move in power. So, I've still got about three pages of notes left, but I've run out of time. I want you to know out of all of this I want you to be um, assured in your own spirit in your own heart that God is with you and God is for you I want you to know that if you ask God for the Holy Spirit he will give the Holy Spirit to you when Jesus talks about God being a good father he, he says doesn't he what father if his son asks for bread will give him a stone as a father if my kids ever asked me for something to eat I wouldn't give them a bucket full of soil or a pile of rocks 
why would I do that I love them your father your heavenly father loves you and Jesus said how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask so ask and be filled with the Holy Spirit and when the difficult times come let's not run from them well actually let me be a little clearer there if faced with temptation run from it (laughs) okay as fast as you can run from it but if you're faced with a test then face up to it are you with me and understand the difference are you with me okay run from temptation because you're weak like me (laughs) okay run from temptation but don't run from the test but know that God is with you and know that through the difficulties of life and through the temptations of life God has a plan to draw something out of you which is bigger and better and more glorious than you already are he has a purpose none of this is random none of this is done just because God was having a bad day so he thought he'd stick some trials in your life it's nothing like that this is the purpose of God to draw out something spectacular that is in you that needs drawing out and so we face trials we face temptations we face tests and our focus has to be on him and our power has to come from the Holy Spirit are you with me? Okay, let's stand I'm going to pray and then we can go and get some coffee Father we thank you that you love us we thank you that you care about every part of our lives we thank you that you want to be involved in our lives Father I also thank you although it sounds a little bit weird uh, for the difficulties um, that that come in life because they're things that ultimately if we allow them to will draw a bigger person out of us and will draw us to you and to your purposes and I pray Lord that for each of us today and I know many of us are going through all sorts of different difficulties and trials I pray that we would just find that place of confidence because we are filled with your Holy Spirit that we would find that place of grace where we know that your hand is upon us, that you love us, that you will not let us stumble or fall, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you will guide us and keep us and guard us as we pursue your purposes. I pray that we would just have a fresh revelation of that that would draw us more and more towards you, where we can hear your voice, where we can see your power at work in our lives and through our lives into the lives of others. I pray, Lord, that as we face whatever life you have prepared for us, we would do it with faith, we would do it with confidence, and we would do it knowing that the end result is glorious. And now I pray that the Lord would bless you, that he would do you good, that he would cause joy to rise in your heart, that you would just have that sense of his power over your life, that he would draw close to you, that his face would would shine upon you that you would feel the warmth of his presence and the touch of his hand as you walk through each day I pray that the Lord would grant you favor I pray that he would give you wisdom 
And I pray that he would fill you with his wonderful supernatural peace to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen.